All right, welcome back to the Such Nerds podcast. I am Jason, joined by my co-host. Peter. And Dan. We are covering the end of the second part of Foundation and Empire by Isaac Asimov. This section is called The Mule. Before we get into our discussion, Dan is going to walk us through a quick summary. Take it away, Dan. Thanks, Jason. It's that's not so quick because there's quite a lot of meat here at the end of the book. So Beta Mist, Torn, and Magnifico land on Neo Tranter and meet with the Emperor, Dagobur the Ninth, in search of a pass to visit the library on Old Trantor. After receiving permission, they are set upon by the Emperor's son, Dagobur the Tenth, and Jord Comason and captured. Magnifico is ordered to play the Visasonar and uses it to kill and incapacitate the Crown Prince and Comason, respectively. The ship the Beta lands on Trantor and meets with Lee Center, leader of the settler group there. He directs them to the university library where Ebling Miss gets to work. They are visited there by Han Pritcher, who reveals the nature of the mule's psychological power and again attempts to convince the group to abandon their efforts without success. Thorn and Beta visit Miz in the library, where he has also discovered the mule's ability to control emotions. Later, Miz confides in Beta the importance of the second foundation of psychologists in overcoming the powers of the mule. After much research, a weakened Miz finally identifies the location of the second foundation, but he is killed by Beta before he can share it. Beta then explains her reasoning, that Magnifico is the mule, and she was forced to kill Miz before he shared the secret location. Magnifico admits to this, explaining how he used his psychological powers to control Torin, Miz, Pritcher, and others, but crucially not Beta. The mule then leaves, vowing to continue his efforts at locating the second foundation. Yeah, thanks for that, Dan. There's certainly a lot to unpack. Speaking of unpacking, (laughs) I got some fan mail. All right. Yeah, that's a good point, Peter. Um, Let's take a break and do our fan mail uh, because we kind of skipped past that before we did our summary, but uh, go for it. Okay. All right. This one's an interesting one. This one's actually for, uh, looks like for the two of you guys. All right. This one is for Dan and Jason. Are you two also devoted followers of the Church of Peter or are you heretical monsters? This is from Peter underscore is underscore our underscore Lord underscore and Savior. I don't know why Jay, you wouldn't have you another want to go first, Jay. <laughs> this is no space between and Savior. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. Is well, it like I a name? Is like a pseudonym? Like you? Think, like Peter also goes by Lord and Savior. I think like that's I his think last name. And underscore Savior was probably taken already. So Baby. just had yeah, it. it's it's a very popular username, mm. unfortunately. Yeah, he probably there's there's probably like a twenty seven on the end too. If you're not, yeah. it was and like an clarity. end, by the way, not like a, the the letter end, instead of being fully spelled out. Yeah. So I mean, I can go first and tell you that I am a heretical monster, one hundred percent. I've not been ordained or baptized or whatever i've not paid my initiation fee into the the peter's uh church i don't know if there's any branches locally out on the west coast there are uh, franchising act- opportunities so oh uh, there okay well yeah. maybe i just have to i mean so where i live there's a lot of scientology you know as far as crackpot religions go um but uh you know peterism maybe can take a foothold because there's no religion too silly to to take weight in Los Angeles. Definitely so maybe I'll have to catch up with you Peter after the podcast and you can kind of fill me in. Might be a good side hustle Dan. Uh, but I find your ideas very interesting. I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> no problem. I'm, I've already signed you up and your all your entire family. That sounds all fantastic. I need your social security number and um yeah just you sign over all your belongings to me. That's that's all it's going to take. That sounds like a fair deal in my book. Mm-hmm. And the way that it works is like there's like one level where there's a lot of people who pay into it 
and they pay the mm-hmm. higher level. And then once you get to that level, then those people pay. The, into then the that's that. when you get the good stuff. Jason is that's just when you start getting his, the good stuff, right? Fitting his forehead with a visisonar, and now he's back in the, in the frame. He can answer the question. I have to say that I'm probably in the category of heretical monster as well. Don't you want to become a cult leader? Although, you know, it is enticing when you mention the franchise opportunity because, you know, does it involve to have to, like, invite people into my living room and, like, oh, no, talk about the great no. things that Peterism offers and how they can benefit from Peterism by getting other people to join the Peterists? Yeah. So we open up, like, a, a small location in your local strip mall. And then, uh, so you can worship, you know, the faith. They're called they're called Peterways, and so at the Peterway, you can you can That's conduct right. your 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 Peterific meetings that you need to bring all your and followers. You in. can increase your if you pay enough in, you can increase your Peteritudes, which once you reach a certain level, then you can find out the secrets of what it is to be a Peter. I think I think maybe we'll leave a link in the episode description for anyone who's interested in uh, in joining a franchise starting a franchise, reporting a franchise to the Better Business Bureau, various other things that might need be needed to be done. Listen, you just ignore those D ratings, okay? We have been really stepping up our customer service and getting back to those complaints, okay? Anybody can leave a Yelp review. doesn't take any qualifications. <laughs> well, that's all I got for this week. Hopefully that satisfies our, our one listener. No, I think, but you should check, uh, just check one more time. Are you sure there's not... Um, more than one fan mail. I thought there was uh, more than one that had come in. This one, this one seems like it might cut me a little bit, and I'm a little hesitant to read it. Actually, dear such nerds, Peter, why are you so mean to Jason? Are you worried that he is saying more important things from any random fan, but definitely not Jason? No random fan. I am not worried about Jason saying important things. In fact, I encourage him to say important things. I am only threatened when I feel like he is saying the most important things because <laughs> only I get to do that. All right. So well, I, I, I'm, a little well I'm glad we got that straightened out. I was a little concerned there, but now I'm glad that that's been put behind us. Dan, you don't get to say anything. Okay. That's <laughs> the I'm pretty sure when I say it, that just means it's not important. Except for when you're talking about franchise opportunities. Then that's very important. Merchandising. Merchandising. Peterism, the flamethrower. The kids love this one. Peterism, the toilet paper. You just have to think up what sayings when they pull the Peter the string on the Peter doll, what the saying is going to be that you're going to have. I say the most important things. Sorry, I think I, I should have said before, right? Isn't it Peterophile, right? Isn't that what we were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Peterphilia. <laughs> a Peterphiliac. So I'm, I'm a little concerned that this fan thinks that I'm mean <laughs> to Jason. <laughs> I treat him you know, I don't know where like garbage Peter, like I treat may, everybody else. You know what it may have been? Um, maybe I should, uh, yeah. I, uh, maybe I should come clean. Any random fan? Not, definitely not Jason. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, I think that they're trying to, they're, it's a little bit of a Kaiser Soze they're trying to pull there. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate them looking out for me. But to be fair to Peter... You know, the quote that is the intro to our, I think it's episode number four, um, that may have caused this particular fan some concern. Uh, We basically open, you know, the podcast with you telling me to shut up.
that may have caught their attention. And uh, to be fair, Peter did say that, but it wasn't exactly as like out of the blue as the way I mashed it in there in the beginning. So um, to be fair, um, it may have been Jason somewhat antagonized. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking right now. I don't know if you know he that. I'm still talking just, over Peter and which, you know, I know that that's probably pushing his button a little bit. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> Dan wants to say something. Are you telling me this podcast is edited and, and what's posted on the Internet is the final result of editing? Yes. Yes. Well, but it's ed- it's, it's only like edited with too. real with real audio. Mind. It's, it's only edited with with actual audio. I don't oh, fabricate the audio. I don't like synthesize the audio. It's just, uh, I take audio. It's real audio. Yes. It's based upon fact. He tried to synthesize it on the mm-hmm. Such Nerd podcast. Such Nerd podcast, singular. Peter's just only a It's the Such Nerd podcast, but only he's on it. And only the most important things, and then it's not. It's actually just Jason synthesizing like our voices over and over. It's me talking to myself, putting my own voice through a voice box, two different settings. One for Dan, one for Peter, so that I can just have a three-way conversation. It's like it's a it's more of a ventriloquism podcast podcast really than anything else to be fair jason i'd appreciate it if you'd stop making me sound like such an arrogant space (laughs) 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 i think space is okay the biggest space in the universe (laughs) it's not a great thing you know it's not a great thing to use. I always thought you were more of a turd way. sandwich than a, yeah. than a giant space. Personally, but that's just a, me. A turd sandwich is how you said. Yes, this is up. There's a competition. Who's going to be the mascot? One the guy on one side is turd sandwich, and the other side is giant <laughs> space. <laughs> oh my god! All right. Okay. So getting into some of the meat here, like there's actually a lot of meat on the bone of these last. What is it? Five chapters that yeah. we covered here. Mm-hmm. I found it to be very. What's the word I'm looking for? I was very wrapped mm-hmm. with the. You were enraptured. Enraptured. It's yeah. like hard to put down the the book, a real page turner, because it's like a lot's flying at you in a very short yeah. order. The whole thing is kind of centered around this search for the second foundation information, right in the library of Trantor, because that's where. Harry Seldon did his work or stored his work or information is stored about his work or whatever the case may be, right? So all these five chapters are kind of all anchor on this. That's the main theme. It starts with this whole idea that the, the Galactic Empire like really did fall hard, like Trantor is ruins and they've actually, the, mm-hmm. the emperor or was it Dogbert, right? Dilbert's Dagobert, the ninth. Um, this like fumbling, yeah. you know, Yoda? senile yeah. old man is the emperor of a Neo Trantor that is mm-hmm. like just a, an agricultural planet in the near vicinity of Trantor. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, this is only where it starts, right? So it's like this whole image yeah. of the fallen galaxy. What kind of stood out for you guys on the whole piece about Neo Trantor and dealing with those those clowns? Well. I mean, one of the things that stuck out for me was that, like, on, you know, the old wreckage of Trantor was the fact that it's turning into an agricultural planet and that their major export is 
old metal from the previous, you know, fallen skyscrapers and stuff like that, which always baffled me as far as a planetary ecosystem was concerned. Now, I realize this is like space and whatnot, but like you need something to like keep your atmosphere healthy. (laughs) So you need like some kind of plant life. Um, but I guess this is like 50s sci-fi, 60s sci-fi. So apparently, all they thought you needed to keep your atmosphere healthy was just exhaled tobacco smoke. Was all they needed to feed into the atmosphere. It's everything <laughs> a growing boy needs. Keep the potassium cycle in effect. Smoking potassium cigarettes, but or stimulates your teaser. Fix that. Fix that nitrogen with this the chaw. It's like a throwback to the incompetent emperor, and the guy's like. Dagobah's like, hold my beer. I'll show you an incompetent emperor who like is like writing on paper, <laughs> just like entirely like figurehead emperor who doesn't do anything. And they're like, convince him they oh we got this pass. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, we're totally set. <laughs> and they go so, outside and they're like, yeah, that piece is worthless. Totally worthless. Yeah, yeah. But before we like, yeah. So that was uh, definitely have more to say about that. Um, just to echo a little bit of Peter's point about the economic uh, state of. Trantor and Neo Trantor, the way they describe it is like <clears throat> Trantor's export is metal, and Neo Trantor's export is agricultural products and food, and so they they How take hold on, but think about this: they raise like sheep and and cultivate food on Neo Trantor, send it out into space to bring it all the way to Trantor to trade it for metal, which they're also going to carry back through space. Like they're going to load their ships up full of tin (laughs) and cart that metal across the, you know, the galaxy to Neo Trantor. And it just makes me think of the scene in, I don't know if you guys saw it, but that show space force with uh, Steve Carell. Nobody, nobody saw it. Okay, never saw. It's hilarious, by the way, and it's like it hits close to home because uh, it's like a whole thing with the military right now and setting up this uh, additional force under you know branch of the air force and the space. uh, They're called guardians, not space cadets. I would have called them space cadets, but there's a scene and they portray like this fake uh, Ocasio Cortez character in Congress challenging Steve Carell, who's the general who's the head of the space force and she holds up an orange and she's like, like, do you know how much this orange costs to send to space? And he doesn't know the exact figure, but she's challenging him. Like this costs $10,000 of taxpayer money to send an orange into space with our astronauts. Like, why do you think we should do that? And he's like all, you know, it's like this shining moment. And he's like, yeah, you know, we send, are people into space and they face danger and they might not make it back. If they want an orange, I think they deserve to bring an orange because they're, you know, doing this for the good of humanity and all this kind of stuff. But it just stuck with me, that figure, like the $10,000 orange. So how can it be economically viable to ship a shipload of food across the galaxy to another planet to bring back heavy 
like loads of metal. Like yeah. I just, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. Right. To well, me. And, the, and the thing that's crazy is it's not like it's, you're going to the moon. Like they said, it's two parsecs away, which is like around six and a half light years of distance between the two worlds. Like, it's not like it's like, Oh, it's a few hundred thousand miles. Like it's literally multiple light years away. And that's just to bring, you know, however many corn, corn cobs they can fit. And, and you some know. slices so of mutton, transfers. right? Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. I think they want to like bring some sheep to like colonize the. Yeah, I had that thought. <laughs> and I, I read back through and I was like, oh, two parsecs. How long is a parsec? And I looked it up and I'm like, oh, it's just three and a quarter light years away. So it's like it's six and a half light years of time to transport. It's, it's two thirds the amount of time it took Han Solo to run the Kessel Run. Okay? <laughs> yes, clearly. That's how long it is. That's, that's a lot of work for, you know. I mean, it seems like the food's good, at least, when they finally have back later. And clearly, they're still able to get tobacco because they have the special cigars. You know, it's like the, it's like how the emperor got elected his platform. No, it's like a chicken in every pot, except it's a churred cigar in every pot. Like it's like it's a Harry Truman or whoever the heck it is in, in Dagobert. No matter how far and ridiculous the economics of this venture, you will have cigars in your box for a special occasion. Um but yeah, you got like kind of Dagobert, the senior, who's kind of useless, and then his conniving. And they talk about it like, you know, he was born on Old Tranter and used to be this kind of the last of the, you know, rich landowners. And then his son, who is much younger, is was born on Neo Trantor and sort of the, the comparison between one and the other, because I guess it's 40 years or 50 years from when the, the old planet got sacked. It seems like the emperor, like you're saying, the empire truly is is uh, splintered out and uh, literally pulling down the buildings of uh, Neo of Tranter, you know, for uh, supply capabilities. It's probably not a great economic model in general. I like the contempt that they like implied when they were talking about how many worlds he had seen. They're like, and he, he only knew 12 worlds. <laughs> like how many worlds are people jumping to all the time? Like, People aren't just, like, happy to hang out on one planet for a while. <laughs> They're just constantly doing this inner space travel for, like, months at a time. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you throw back to the first scene in the first book where, what's his name, the the, the yeah, country like bumpkin to see Trent, who's never right? been to yeah. any city, you know. It's like right. uh, And the people of Trantor you know. never come up to see daylight, let alone travel to another planet, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it seems a little um, out of step with the rest of the book. Right. Or with mm-hmm. the rest of the series. Like, oh, yeah. he only saw 12 worlds. Well, how, how much do you think, like, the actual Emperor of Tranter saw? Like, the little kid who was in charge yeah. that, you know, never had got to leave the palace because he would yeah. always be assassinated or something like right. that. <laughs> or the guy that had to spend all his time on the force pillow, right? Like, he just. Yeah. Had- yeah, because yeah, he was too weak, much <laughs> like this guy, too weak to go, you know, check out his Viceroy on Anacreon since he keeps talking about, oh, how's, what's the Viceroy think? Oh, fantastic. I'll send him a, 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 a attaboy for my Viceroy in Anacreon because so, yeah. everyone's very happy over there. I like how he just, like, doesn't let it go. Like, he insists that Anacreon is his province and he, like, they say we're from the Foundation and he's like, He's like, oh, yeah, I had it located. It's in Anacreon. Like, they st- he still only recognizes Anacreon as the the province of the locale of the of the foundation. So he's, like, way behind on on what's going on there. Yeah, doesn't really change your opinion. Behind, right? 
Yeah. yeah, it doesn't change your opinion of how you know the circumstances of of the empire and the, the state that it's in, and uh, you know the foundation and and how small the you know the universe is now that nobody knows what's going on because no one's going anywhere. Um, but they did, you know, it's, it's interesting. The first chapter where the, the you know two guys are kind of plotting about the crew, and they they you know it's like more trademark ice them off chauvinist type of type of behavior from these new characters like oh there's a woman like, we basically just harvest her and get rid of the other guys and just basically <laughs> send her off to the, the prince hair, or whatever and just you know he said says i read the line it's like a, oh it's a it's like a a, a, a foreign delicacy for you know <laughs> for the prince wow. or whatever it's just like yeah tasty tree how dark are you planning on just just uh just metaphorically ravishing her. Or you're actually physically planning on eating her because it's unclear how, how depraved, you know, the character base is. Um, and then it's sort of what they, they put into place in the second room. And then, uh, you know, before the whole visit sonar incident, um, they, they leave with their, their hall pass and then, uh, they just get set upon and, and yeah, that you was know, great. blasted out. And I like how like Torin is like, like, first of all, I couldn't piece together this, like, bumbling idiot. Why the heck are they on Neo Trantor? Why do they acknowledge the Emperor and the need for a pass? Like, this is just that blows their cover, right? Then they wind up in in Trantor, and the clowns from Neo Trantor follow them. But, yeah, that was the same thing. It was very interesting why they? Why they even bother? I mean, I would they have the good advanced knowledge. They think the emperor still got his act together. And they got to go in and ask his permission, right? <laughs> he and then it's like useless. he scratches. He scribbles some chicken scratch on a on a notepad, <laughs> like a on a uh, y- you know yellow notepad or something like that, right? Yeah. Like, and, they said the paper's blank. And like, then, I'm sure it yeah, is. and then you know they basically like coax the senile man into writing something and signing it, you know, under duress. Then when they get taken in by Comason or however you say his name and and uh, and the emperor's son, they're like, "You can't touch us. We have a pass from the emperor." It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't really That's understand how power works. Dude. Did you see this official yeah. document that I have here? I didn't even have to bribe thirty-seven thousand people to yeah, get it. It's just like, and then, but the, like they could have just gone to Trantor. I, I couldn't figure out why that was part well, I, of the book. I, I guess they had they, to set up Comason and the 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 mules link or whatever. Um, you know, communicating with that planet and Ichni and all that crap. Well, it's a, I guess the question is: then they go to the planet and then they meet you know the guy and i don't know if there was some sort of information they needed about the location or because they mentioned when they're flying there it's like well there's nothing here so it's impossible to navigate because it's like a, a blank planet except for the one city where all the metal is you're like flying low you can't even find anything so you know maybe there's something there but obviously there's nothing in the chapter but maybe there's some other reason why you know they had to uh, touch base. Well, there was also, I mean, they mentioned it a couple times about them, you know, sort of, uh, they're being a little bit rogue with their trip. Maybe they have to, they're trying not to get attacked or whatever, but it was sort of glossed over in, in typical Isomoff fashion. Yeah. I think from like a structural standpoint, like why would you make this new planet? Right. Like why, why not just have like the evil despot son, like be, 
chilling in the old empire, you know, capital, like in the sweet palace that's probably in ruins like that. That yeah. seems to make sense to me. Right. And then it's like, OK, well, now we have this confrontation that needs to occur so that we can get access to the stuff that we want. Like this whole thing could have literally been like circumnavigated by or like, you know, they could have just looped the whole thing out by avoiding Neo Tranter. I don't know yeah. if they were trying to like do things officially like go through channels because they went to one of the other 12 worlds in the old empire or whatever they're calling the empire. And I don't know. It just seems like from a, if I well, were writing the book, it's also possible that <laughs> if, if you were eyes them off, Peter. Yeah, yeah. If I were writing the book, I would have not introduced another. This is point. not a, it's like, it's a not an, not an yeah. important enough point to be brought up apparently yeah. uh, for the, but there is a complication that you, that you lose or a complication that suits the story that you lose if you don't have some way to set up the, you know, the son of the emperor and, you know, he's the legend on beta and that, you know, pushes Magnifico oh. over the edge and he, and he uses the Visisonar to, I think all that's to good. Melt his brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think all that's good. Right. Like, I, I think that's necessary. Good. Like to kind of like set things up. Right. But you could have done that on Tranter. That's what is my argument. Yeah, maybe. You know, you could do it in the old palace and then, you know, like they get away from the old palace and then they make their way down to the university and then they can still have that nice little scene where it's like, oh, hey, look, we're this I'm this chieftain and I'm real cool and I get to grow my beard, which is super sweet. Yeah. Much like Jason. <laughs> I, I like that. Yes. Yes. I noticed that too. He's got his elder's beard. Like, he's not, he doesn't have to shave anymore. Find, yeah, exactly. He's had to shave for 40 years until he became the elder of the tribe. And then he like the next day he stopped shaving for the first time. He's clearly like mm-hmm. a new, a new chief elder. He's got like stubble, like crust ash, like total <laughs> person. It's like he said, like 50 generations to build this ridiculous metal structure. And meanwhile, they're tearing it down in four years to try to, you know, just keep the lights on for one more day, you know, whether that is, is enough of a, you know, enough of a sort of plot point to really need to have this sort of separate skin world. But, but, um, we'll find out maybe the next one. Sometimes these kind of, um, you know, post-apocalyptic, um, settings really baffle me. Like I just, it's really hard for me to imagine something so um, desperate as an entire planet, just abandoned, right? Gilmer, the guy who is responsible for the sack, right? Not just the sack, the great sack, right? They tell, they call about, they call it the great sack. And then later on, they call it something else, some other kind of sack, but they they use they like yeah it, either way it's a sack is it Gilmer or Glimmer or Gil it's Gilmer I think it's right? Gilmer Gilmer so Gilmer's responsible for the sack apparently he's in power he's in power for like a decade and then he's not in power anymore so like why can't they return to Trantor maybe Isomov was trying to solve a plot um, problem somehow this is how he worked it out but again like if we could have our way maybe we could have while he was still alive had Isomov rewrite these books so we could enjoy them more cleanly it's not about, it's not about you Jason it's about him <laughs> it's all about me come on <laughs> 
Stop writing those memoirs. He writes Nobody books wants for to himself. know about your life. They just want to read your it's books. Like, it's like this podcast. The, <laughs> the, the listeners and reading and the audience is sort of secondary. It's of secondary importance. They're just along for the ride. really what it comes down to. If they really cared about Isomoff, they'd just wait for the autobiography, which has been poured over pain, painstakingly. <laughs> Did I mention to you guys that I've started my memoir? You know, I figure after, oh, really? you know, after starting this podcast that there's probably going to be, um, you know, a good contingency of the human race in the future that's going <laughs> to wonder, you know, like what was behind that great podcast, the Such Nerds podcast. So I've uh, I, I drafted, you know, the first version of my memoir um, and I've sent it to a few publishers, but I've also started the second version mm-hmm. to replace the first version. Once I'm done with the second version as well, you're also estimating that that there's this is, this, is, this is there's no more excitement. This, all the exciting things that have happened in your life have already happened. Like there's nothing else worth waiting around to see if there's like a, for no, no, I, like, no. But I'll, I'll write a third version as more things, more great things happen in my life. So, but I figure by the time I get to like the third or fourth version of my memoir. I can probably like just like scrap all the previous versions and just never too early to start yeah. your memoir. <laughs> start your revisionist history. Revisionist history, exactly. See, unfortunately, all the feedback that Jason's gotten from his biography was that they just want to hear more about this Peter guy. Yeah, it could have been. I guess maybe we'll find out if it's totally useless as a plot point yeah. or with whether there's actually some reason for it. You know, maybe later. But yeah, that part was a little strange. Then they, they they kind of pass through have dinner. I mean, they they have maybe it's another reason to have another side where they have some additional. Everyone's offended that the woman in the group is actually like treated like a human being. That she walks in the same line as them. She's eating at the same time as them. They're like flabbergasted. That's disgusting. Treated like it's like they they, they give her a she's cigar a and the guy's woman. literally like speechless. He like loses yeah. his cool. Like oh my god, I can't believe that they're not. Uh, you know, yeah. she's not like scrubbing floors or. Carrying a, some sort of wash so basin. Your mother. your mother was also a woman. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. I don't know. That's what Isomov needed. Just some more time yeah. to throw in some other characters with outdated, uh, you yeah. know, gender role opinions. To be contemptuous of women. Yeah, it was brutal. It was sad that he sees the transition of, you know, women from traditional gender roles into like kind of our modern day view of you know equality not happening for 50,000 years from the time he wrote this book like that's a little bit sad but he does write it in a way that like it's it's like he points it out as not being a good thing right at least he doesn't it's not like he's you know cheering cheering him on he's he's pointing it out to juxtapose you know the way kind of it should be versus the way they're kind of backwardsly looking but i liked i do like how like the tipping point was the cigar moment right like yeah. beta you know beta reaches for a cigar just like the other guys do and then enjoys yeah. it he says it she accepted one with a smile and drew in its aromatic smoke with all the relish one could expect so like mm. she's also enjoying it yeah and, uh, and then set center's head explodes right, right. <laughs> <It> explodes on the wall <laughs> 
I wonder if if uh, Isomoff just thought he was like being super progressive. Maybe <laughs> like while well, he's writing, he's like, "Oh, look at me! I'm such such like, an I'm so ahead of my time. <laughs> yeah. I'm so ahead of my time. Progressive. Like, yeah. He's yeah. smoking a cigar yeah. and they're giving it to his knee. Well, I mean, he does write. I mean, you know, give woman credit. like a person. Yeah, to give him credit, they. I mean, she does. You know, she is the the, the key fe- feature, the key figure in the chapter, and she does sort of figure everything out. Torrance kind of like you know his usual kind of bumbling, useless person. Um, but we find out later that he was melted, right? His brain was melted, yeah. Uh, and so he's like just maybe justifiably a little bit bumbling through the whole process. Yeah. But this is the cigar, like right after the cigar moment is also where Miz indicates we get the first indication that something's a little off with Miz, right? At the end of the, the, the uh, Lee center encounter, um, he starts talking about, you know, seeking after knowledge about the second foundation. And he's like, eager and feverish about it. And I think like after getting through the book and understanding what, you know, the mule was doing to him, um, it seems like he's got him kind of spooled up already and he's got him on like adrenaline mode in his, mm-hmm. uh, in his, what is it, in his brain function? How do you describe it? He's like, he, he accelerates like the, the intuition function of the brain. And so it's like, it overdrives the brain and it'll, he'll eventually burn out. Right. Which is where we get to in mm-hmm. the end. But, um, but he's got him like started yes. on his path. I, uh, I, yeah. I read it back afterwards too. And then I remembered seeing something where they'd pointed out that he was either, I'm trying to find it here, but he was either literally like he was, he was, Thinner, like Beta notices that he's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's even before they get there. And they didn't catch it at the time until the last chapters where they're talking about how, you know, he's wasting away. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like I would read it back because everything that you read, knowing what you know at the end, is kind of like, well, you know, how would I interpret that knowing what I know? Um, right. You have to kind of go back yeah. and look. I didn't notice until I went back and looked, looked for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. S- speaking yeah, of looking fun. back. Um, I did find the other name that they call the sack. They also call it the bloody sack. And they also describe that it was a seven-day fight. One week. One week is all it took to bring down the empire's entire planet and send them into hiding. And Gilmer had a short interval of rule and nobody's come back since. Just like so, basically, they they uh, I don't know, and I don't know if the mule sort of goads the crown prince into sort of into sort of giving them the business sonar in, after they capture them in order to kill him, or whether you know that that's part of the mule's sort of emotional affect deal. But they sort of escape from that situation, and that's where the first thing I noticed where you know they're, they're basically flying. To, to Tranter and Magnifico lets them know that he killed the prince and then they're like, well, and then they ask Miz and Miz is like in a fever dream already by that time and yeah. he's sort of like, you know, completely off his rocker. Ebling Miz rubbed his forehead with a hand that seemed shriveled out of its former plumpness. His yeah. voice was an abstracted mutter. Yeah, it's like even by then he was clearly, you know, and that was like the second he's chapter. He's on the outs. Yeah. He's like, hmm, he didn't think much yeah. about it. It just goes south from there. 
I just like when like Man- Magnifico plays the what is it the Vaza Vaza sonar. There's yeah, a sonar, right? So then it's like everyone's feeling real crummy, right, while he's playing it. And Beta's like can't stand it, but I guess it's not directed at her, so her brain doesn't melt. <laughs> um, and Yeah, uh, Maze is out during that. And then she like basically demand like she requires an explanation, and then Magnifico explains it. And he ha- – like up to this point, he hasn't like spelled it out essentially, right? And obviously this was the point where I was like, well, obviously he's, he's the meal, right? So, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, uh, not to jump the gun here, Peter, cause I don't want you to get like too excited. Cause it's still, you know, I still haven't decided if you're going to win another season's worth of the Praisian award. I got to go back. Even if I don't win it officially, I'll mm. be the winner in the people's You may arts. be the runner up. You know, you'll definitely be first or second runner-up. Yeah, that's for you'll sure. definitely be on the podium. So it's a very small podium. You know, it's like you know what they call second place—the <laughs> first losers. Yeah, but but I will say that I I do remember a comment that you made when we talked about the Physisonar when we first met it, and you said that sounds like a weapon of war, mm-hmm. and I think that was uh, very spot on. That uh, Magnifico definitely turned. The visisonar against uh, a human life in that yeah. moment. Yeah, it's an Ixian. It's an Ixian device that yeah. visisonar. Definitely forbidden technology. Yeah, exactly. There was one of the things with the Butlerian jihad that they really, they really outlawed visisonars in addition oh, to could you pronounce and everything. Jihad. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what can I say? Yeah, it kind of tied everything up. Like Magnificos. You know, entry into the series is definitely sus, right? Like you're like, yeah, there's something real weird going on yeah. here. And uh, yeah. I, the, one of the things that was, you know, Beta points out in her exposition, like at the end, which I was like, oh yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. Where she was like, do you remember how weird you thought it was? Uh, what's his name, Torin? Yeah. Like how you thought it was super weird afterwards that you had defended this monstrous looking man randomly on the beach, randomly like from police on a paradise planet, right? Yeah, well, and he was like, "Yeah, that was weird. It was weird. Out of character, I think they called it at the time. Well, the thing is, like, at the time you're like, oh, maybe he's just being a tough guy showing off for his new wife on his honeymoon. You know, it's plausible, right?" I just thought it was some Why kind would of you do that? sense of justice. Like I had some actual <laughs> faith in him as a person yeah, no. and nope. humanity. And nope. now that I've read this book, I realized that Isamoth doesn't know what that means. He's <laughs> <So, Yeah. laughs> clearly, it's because he's mind control. Like the only person who's capable of any kind of compassion is a woman, right? Yeah. Like mm. you can't or just like take man. pity upon this like sad puppy dog looking creature. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? So we have it. So we have an interesting. Uh, before we get all the way to the to that kind of culmination at the end, which you know, like you said, Peter was like, yeah, there was this dawning moment when he when he takes out the the prince, but it didn't slow me down. Like it was still riveting, and it was still there was still enough to unravel to uh, get all of the details and links back to those like you know signs and signals through the book that it kept me enticed. And one of the interesting things was the the convert 
the chapter 24, where they talk about the Philians, which don't really exist, but Han Pritcher's like on the ship and gets converted by the by Magnifico in mm-hmm. that encounter. Mm-hmm. Wait, the Philians didn't exist? I totally missed that. Yeah, it's, I yeah. mean, they they pretended they were the Philians, but then in the end, like Magnifico describe or Han Pritcher when he comes back to visit them on on Tranter, he describes how Philians don't really exist, and you know his orders are don't involve them and you know, don't involve Magnifico and all this kind of stuff. But he kind of like, as a friend, tells them what happened and why they should, you know, consider joining the mule, right? And they're they're like, no. But do you think back when he was converted initially, Pritcher went in to try to take out the mule and like, well, if he, you know, the old viceroy is like, well, the mule can be very convincing, you know? Right, right, right. I'm right. all of a sudden, you know, yeah. not only was I, I was previously a warlord against them, now I'm his sort of second in command. And it's like, well, how did you do that? It's like, well, you know, I got the old... He's got that. He's also got the beam where it's like, yeah, (laughs) he's able to sort of swap pieces out of people's memories too. It's all matter of mind control technology. Yeah. And he instantly promotes him to Colonel. Right. And we talked about this before, like instead of uh, crushing his opposition, he is in a position to embrace the, the rebels against him and basically use their strength to build his own, purpose right or to suit his own Mm -hmm. purpose and i thought you know i don't know if you guys caught this but you know at the same time you know han percher's getting converted and ebling is kind of losing his losing his touch with reality the real tipping point was when um i'll just read it to you ebling himself was completely buried He had insisted on a hammock being slung up for him in the psychology reference room. This is when he's doing all the work in the library, trying to find the second foundation under the the mule's spell. It says, his face grew thin and white. His vigor of speech was lost, and his favorite curses had died a mild death. (laughs) I mean, that's how you know the man's on his way out. <laughs> yeah. That dude loves I was like, swear. at that point, he's like, what? He's not swearing anymore? Oh, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't even is smoke. He's basically already dead. That dude is messed up. Yeah. <laughs> definitely put him out of his misery. He's relishing. May as well be on tubes, you know, in the hospital just, at this point. Just you sitting know? there drawing yeah. hexagons. Spiritually, <laughs> he is. His spirit has been broken. I thought it was like after all the, like the pointing out of all his like you know obnoxious swearing and stuff like that. I thought that was like very clever of Asimov to <laughs> to capture that as like indicative of his demise, right? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know he's the not going to make it. Swearing has gone silent. Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> Galaxy. Yeah, and and so Pritchard comes and goes and then um you know, then pretty much after that is when they they basically go into Miz, and uh, he's just like feverish beyond belief. And they start, you know, speaking in countdown mode for Miz. Because it wasn't obvious to you that he was fading away, kind of subtly being put in, where it's like, oh, he's fading, he's tired, he's not even cursing. And then it's like, after that, there were only two weeks left of the life of Ebling Miss. And I was like, all right then, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. there's well, kind of knew he was on his way out, yeah, right? Yeah, again, I mean, it's but it's like, it's obvious that he's going down, but it's still interesting. Like he starts the oh, chapter yeah. saying there's only two weeks left to live. And it's like, I still want to find out like what, what happens in these two weeks. Right. right. 
Yeah. I mean, isn't the chapter literally called Death of a Psychologist? Yeah, Death of a Psychologist. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt. Like, is he going to make it? And, right? and Torrin goes, he's changed, he's lost weight, he's a little feathery, a little woolly. Uh, what is it like when someone's woolly? Right. Yeah, no, I, I've got the dictionary here. So the first definition of woolly is made of wool, which is probably not what he's talking about. That's and the second right. definition is vague or confused in expression or character. Oh, there you go. Fuzzy. I don't know how much wool there is on Tranter these days, but, you know, I guess Apparently it's sheep's enough. sheep's a thing. They, they, they raise yeah. sheep, right? That was like mm-hmm. I, I, I was excited for you. Yeah, you're right. We got our first mention of animals. And of all the animals, Isimov chose sheep. You just echo what you're saying. I was I was reading back. I was you know that the last whatever ten percent of the book. I was just back and forth, being like, oh man, this is really coming down to it in terms yeah. of sort of being paidster. And so it seems that you know that beta sort of got the got the the shake of it. What's going down? And she kind of concocts this plan. Well, so basically they go to they go to Miz, and he's like, well, I never told you, and I highlighted this, and it was like. They tell they tell him what they heard from Pritchard that the mule controls people's emotions, and he says, "Oh, I found that too. It's nothing new." And he's like, "But have I have I forgotten to tell you?" And then he's like, "Tell us what?" And he says, "He tampers with emotions, emotional control. I haven't told you." And he says, "Now, what made me forget?" And he's like, "Well, you know, foreshadowing. What made him forget is the fact that Magnifico goes down there watching movies next to him all day, all night. You know, you know, that's I, something made him forget, and it was basically." Uh, you know, the mule. Yeah, and I and I think uh, we see, like, the indicator for Beta, the tipping point for her, is uh, Ebling shows, like, signs of, like, getting close to the second foundation uh, information. He talks about the difference between how the first foundation, that was simple. It's just physical science. The second foundation is much more complex. Um it, it's a psychological, you know, society, like a psychohistory. Uh, maybe they had like a council of the psychohistorians instead of a council in, in, of the encyclopedists. And, uh, and he says there's a lot more room for error. And then, um, she, then he starts talking about the mule and his descendants and them dominating the human species because human species will just be, you know, servants of the, the mule class, you know, mm-hmm. beings. And then it's like a page later, uh, Torin challenges her in a, in a reverie. And then she like kind of gets to the end of it and then announces I'm carrying a blaster from now on. Like, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's the wheels are turning. Yeah. She's, she's got mm-hmm. something sorted out. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if they were trying to, you know, at first I was like, oh, she's kind of paranoid, you know, she's just like, you know, chasing shadows a little bit. Um, yeah, she's clear like that the seams. Yeah, it seems like you got the sense that it's like, oh, she's, she's like, jumpy. you know, she's jumpy and jittery and whatever. Like they're all kind of coming down with with something. Yeah. Um, they're all I mean, they're, they're all like locked up in this, you know, it's not like they're. I don't know if they are all spending the entire day in the library or whatever hiding out. Um, Ebling is definitely. And then they're getting in and out, running grocery errands and. Yeah. Getting more coffee. Getting more coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Getting the butter. Getting the butter for the apple pies. Yeah. 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 Keeping him stuffed full of vegan tobacco. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to need this. 
needs us to keep going. Keep his brain at 100%. You know, he's Ebling sort of totally on his last legs. He's trying to talk about the thing. And Beta yells at, at Magnifico to go upstairs, you know, basically get out of here because she she probably knows that he's, you know, hawking around there because he wants to know the figure. And then Miz basically is like, oh, no, he can stay. And it's like, well, that's obviously not Miz making that call because Magnifico is kind of brain, brain melding him to stay. And then, you know, Miz is sort of like reaching his crescendo about uh, talking about looking through the 25 films to find out where their second foundation is. And then he's about to tell him, and then Beta basically just shoots him. From the way suffered, Miz was not, and a ragged hole was in the wall behind. From numb fingers, Beta's blaster dropped to the floor. So she basically, like, at the moment, you're like, what is going, what are you doing that for? And then, you know, clearly, there's a reason. Yeah, so, like, my immediate thought, you know, when she took out Miz was... Like, why'd she take out Miss? Why didn't she take out Magnifico? Magnifico. Yeah, if she exactly. was a su- suspect of Magnifico. But then, like, he, they go into it later on, right? She she knew that if she had turned her emotions against Magnifico, he would notice it and he would stop her. And then she wouldn't get anybody. She wouldn't have any mechanism to mm-hmm. prevent him from finding out about Second Foundation. So she had to turn against the guy who was going to die in a, in a few minutes anyway, after he spoke his last words of giving up the location of the second foundation. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Doesn't Magnifico yeah. scream when it happens to, Oh, does like, he doesn't, doesn't say, I think he you like know. lets out a cry of like, like <clears throat> anger or despair or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is. Oh no, there's smothered a, Magnifico. Yeah, high pitched cry. Yeah, high pitched cry drowned out Torrin's inarticulate roar. This is clearly like a, you know, caveman type yeah. type. He's a moron. Can we just agree <laughs> on that? <laughs> He's slope, the dumbest. Brow and dragging knuckles and just like crude yeah. grunts. <laughs> Communicates. But in. it's not even like he doesn't even like encompass like any kind of good masculinity, right? Like he's not super protective. He's not. Um, but I guess it's just like just like goes along with something. Like, okay, we're gonna. He's go not. E- he's not even good at making sandwiches, right? No, he's terrible. <laughs> well, the question is, and it goes back: how far you read? How much of it is that really him? You know, maybe like yeah. you meet him when they're on. He goes to Calgad two days after the honeymoon. He's maybe probably under the mules thing anyway, so you might even know I mean, who he the, is. The, the sense I get from the mind control that Magnifico presents basically is it's like, okay, look, you're just gonna be, I'm gonna be the guy. Right. Like you're just going to be loyal to me. And then you can kind of do whatever you want outside of that. Like look at Hans Pritcher. Right. Mm. Like they're like, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same dude. I just I'm like I'm the, Han, the mule now. Han, like nerd. Singular. Han, like Han Solo. <laughs> what did I not say? Hans. Hans. Sorry. I went Hans of France. Hans and we are going Hans. to pump you up. <laughs> Hans. Hans Christian and Pritcher. So Hans Christian Pritchard. Yeah, Hans and Franz. <laughs> Franz Pritchard. Hans Pritchard. Colonel, Vice Colonel Franz Pritchard. Totally different guy. Kevin Nealon. Not, not, that was, my, uh, so that was my I, diehard Hans. Oh, okay. Hans! Hans! But yeah, no, you're right. You're, 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 it's a valid point because 
Pritcher mentions like, why? Oh, my intellect is there. You know, like, like, why should we believe you, you, you're the mule's man? He's like, well, that's just my affect. I'm, you know, I'm in the mule's service. I think he's got a great idea. I'm brainwashed with regards to like what the overall meaning of these thoughts and things are. But my thoughts are actually still, you know, I'm still lucid in what I'm talking about. The things I know are still the things I know. It's just that I'm, my emotions are such that I'm, you know, predisposed to agreeing with the mule. And so now, again, it's a little meta because maybe that's just the brainwashing talking. You know, he doesn't think he's compromised mentally, but you know, it's not totally clear. I mean, from what we've seen with Hans Prinzer, like it seems very in keeping with his character. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't seem like he's lying. Right. Yeah. But the well, other thing is, then is immediately after. Then Torin basically like yells at Beta like, oh, you're the mule's woman. Basically, like yeah, I can understand it, I guess, because he's loyal to the mule. She's been she's been creeping on. I mean, part of me is like I thought. Well, she's you know he's been you got to figure he's been suspecting how she's been doting on this clown for the entirety of the journey. You know, that's the reason why you know he has his hard suspicions that she was sort of in the needle's pocket anyway because she's so beholden to him. Right. But you know, ironically, it's a good thing she did because the reason why he doesn't really co-opt her is because you know he says that she actually cared about him without in the initial phase. Right. So her humanity is what saved her, you know? Yeah. Right. Otherwise she would be, you know, brain controlled like all the rest of them. So it's a good thing that she was, even though it might seem like a bad thing for her to abandon you on your honeymoon. It was for a good cause, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. One of the things that like, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, like kind of on our own conversations, but like, I don't know that, you know, the mule, taken over is necessarily a bad thing right like this is he's the villain right it's pretty clear that he is meant to be the villain but he's united all of these fractionalized worlds that are were like going to go to war anyway mm-hmm. right and kill that was like one of, people, of the right foundation was going to go into a civil war and kill foundationers right 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 and it was mm-hmm. like the traitor planets were ready to revolt right yeah. and um uh, you know, it was it was kind of going the way of uh, like stagnation as far as their innovation and whatnot. It was it had already been taken over by a despot at some point that in, instituted you know generational rule. You know, based a dynast dynastic rule again, right? Which is you know seems like a big no no in the uh, in the eyes of um, you know the foundation's founders, right? They didn't even want like an author- authoritarian rule. They wanted like committee rule that was elected or in pursuit of the, uh, you know, the encyclopedia. So this guy comes along using whatever means he had, right, which was psychic in this particular case. And he, it seems like it was a relatively bloodless con- conquest, right? It was, it's not entirely bloodless, right? Like there's, battles going on with a couple of the rogue traitor planets but those just happened to be the ones that he wasn't you know the mule wasn't paying attention to because he had this eye on the prize of i need to get the foundation and then after that he's like oh there's a second foundation let me go try to find that too yeah and that's the only part where i'm like what why do you care why do you care about trying to destroy the second foundation because that's the only way that's the only way that he's ever going to be, you know, the, what they say is that he basically was able to 
you know, adjust the psychological makeup of the people. And so as a result, you know, the psychologists that exists are such that they're the only way to sort of overcome that. Because to touch on your point earlier, it's kind of like, it's not as, yes, it's great that the mule sort of brings order to the, to the civilization, but it's not a sustainable sort of order. He's just, you know, I, I read it as he's just sort of, he's just putting off the reckoning that has to come with the actual rebuilding of the society. It's like a quick fix. I'm like, yeah, it's great. And it seems like it's fine, but it's not actually a sustainable long-term solution that's going to lead to the next sort of golden age. It's just like, you know, a temporary quick fix that's going to make you feel better in the short term. But then you're going to, whenever it sort of rolls out, you're going to be right back where you started from in the civil war galaxy. So, yeah. So it's, uh, give me a second here. Cause there's like, it's a couple of steps in this in my mind because he talks about how he took his time because he he can like exert his will against others emotions but it's actually hard for him to do that so he did it in a kind of a calculated way to do it in increments and he started with like you know getting a ship through a pirate and getting you know uh something through something through a uh, an industrialist yeah. right and then he mm-hmm. gets a planet through the warlord of of calgan not calgan, calgan yeah. peter calgan mm-hmm. um and then <laughs> and then, so, and then he, his calendar. foundation was hard yeah. for him right he said it was hard for him they're they're all over the place these trader planets are kind of like independently minded people he could only be – he had to be with Beta and Torin the whole time. He couldn't get to certain places. So he got to Foundation when he was there and Haven when he was there. But it was a, that was like his, his biggest challenge so far. Um, so I think that, yeah, to your points that it's temporary maybe, but I think he's got kind of like a long view in mind. And I think he recognizes – and that's why Beta um, was able to – expose his weakness because he recognizes that he can't just go and perpetuate this you know mind control thing to manage the universe because if he's not there anymore it all kind of the house of cards falls apart right Uh, Right. or within a generation or two there's enough independent minded people that you know it's going to kind of crumble underneath i mean that's really uh, the the structure that he put together right yeah, and it's it, the independent-minded people right. who all have and terrible ideas. So what he needs to do, right, he needs to actually create a desirable place. It's, it's There's still incentive for him to make a universe that people want to be a part of, right, to, in, to love him for his rule, not just because he's messed with their brains, right? So he should do it selectively to people like Han Pritcher, who can be in command and be reasonable and be good leaders of people but he should hesitate from doing it to everybody because he still want like if it's going to last past his lifetime then it's got to be something that can stand on its own two feet at least that's the way i see it so i think the actions he's taking and the weaknesses that have been exposed are kind of a reflection of him recognizing that he can't just force everything on everyone all the time because it's just going to it's, he's going to build the house of cards too tall and it's going to crumble. You know, going back to the very beginning, it's like very little is known about the mule. And what we do know comes from a woman named Beta. What was interesting that I know reading through it again, it was kind of like when he talks about, you know, the various steps that he was taking, like you're talking about before. And he talks about his, you know, the finding of Miz was, was his greatest 
you know, fine because he needed somebody with that brain at high efficiency and he sort of doped him to operate almost like Selden to get to what the information is. And he says he was dying at the end, but he lived again as Shigurin interrupted him. He would have lived long enough. Together, we three could have gone onward to the second foundation. It would have been the last battle, but for my mistake. And it was like, you know, it seems like it's not like he was trying to dispose of the populace. Uh, like this, he's got some evil end in mind. It seems like he has a quasi, you know, sort of inclusive, positive. He makes the same point at the end when he's talking to Beta about how she could have been his sort of ruler number two. It concubine. Would, you know, concubine. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could call it that. Con- it would have consort. been an artificial ecstasy. Yeah, I, I would Sorry. I make you happy very easily. It would be an artificial ecstasy, but there would be no difference between it and the genuine emotion. And it was basically like, you could have been part of my operation, but it's like, you know, it's like a matrix red pill, blue pill kind of question. Would you rather have, you know, sort of a, a free will understanding of things, even if they're not ideal? Or would you rather have artificial fake reality that's all sun and rainbows, but it's actually completely, you know, it's not actually real. Um, but it's comfortable. And- yeah, exactly. It's yeah. you wouldn't know the difference, you know. Yeah. You'd be none the wiser. Or you'd so. know the difference, but you wouldn't care that it's different, right? Yeah. It's kind of like where Han Pritchard's at. I thought it was interesting that uh, you know, Miss went into a couple of the threats to the Selden plan right after the the thing we just uh, we just covered in. He mm. says uh, there are like a few things that could throw Selden's plan off course. If there's like a um, major technological change in society, like finding a better utilization of energy or a new principle for utilization of energy or the study mm. of, he calls it electronic neurobiology, mm. which I thought was, in, I'd never heard of electronic neurobiology before, but mm. then he talks about also a new weapon. If a new weapon were yeah. invented... That might cause ruinous devastation. But then he like mm-hmm. poo-poos the field depressor because it was, I guess, surmountable by the ingenuity yeah. of the traders. So that couldn't have been the issue. So the only thing remaining was changing the human reaction to stimuli. And that's what the mule's effect is. So it had to mm-hmm. be some emotional control, right? That's how he deduced that it's emotional control because it wasn't electronic neurobiology or a truly a new weapon like that was more powerful than the field depression i love that it's got to be emotional control i love that isomoff who like witnessed world war ii propaganda that played to people's emotions was like emotional manipulation that's obviously the next weapon (laughs) yeah yeah well the other thing i thought that human feelings could be weaponized (laughs) Yeah, but that's right before he found the twenty-five fat films of of right. convention, you know, lore that he's trying to pick through to find out where the second foundation thing is. But the other, I guess, that's one other point before we go to the ending. You kind of get a, you know, we were, you know, poo-pooing Selden. That's like, oh, he's clearly, you know, ninety-four percent accurate, and his plan's kind of going off the rails, and maybe he's not as smart as we thought it was, and maybe it's not as, he's not as possible as you, you know, he's kind of. You know, you got to st- stop counting on his plan. You know, it really sort of puts him back in the four that he was playing four dimensional chess the entire time where he's got, you know, the second foundation. He's super secretive about it. And he he sort of he sort of, uh, you know, predicts the mule in a certain way where he's he understands the flaw, the possible flaws in his long term plan and puts in, you know, backup plans to sort of counteract those sort of flaws. 
um, you know, th- throughout the whole past pass of this book, really, people are kind of intimating that, oh, Selden this and Selden plans. Maybe not. It's all it's just some false god. And he really comes back thick in the end that he's that he's, you know, he's calculated out all the all the possibilities. And he really is sort of the 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 ubermensch that, uh, you know, that you thought he was way back in the beginning of the first book. Do you think maybe Selden had like this weird mutation like where he could like have almost telepathy on this stuff? Because no one else has been able to replicate it, right? You would think that there'd be some kind of remnants of the research somewhere. Um, or maybe, it probably is on Second Foundation. Maybe it's all stuck on the Second Foundation. That just seems like it would violate like, you know, the the rules of like emotion or of like secrets and how I forget what there's a term for it, but basically like when something is like monumental enough and you have enough people involved, like the possibility of it not being kept secret mm-hmm. is, uh, well, that's probably why the second foundation is so remote. And they probably gave them instructions to like, just hide and make make no mention of yourselves and sort of, um, maybe we'll find out, I guess in the next book, but, um, you know, I think that, the mule mentions it when he says, oh, I'm going to still do, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. I'm still going to find a new psychologist and find the second foundation and still pursue with my plan. And I had read it at the moment being like, oh, that's because I'm the mule. And I was like, oh, it's just because he's stubborn. Like they mentioned a couple of chapters ago. That's why he's going to do that because he's so stubborn that – and I had first thought, well, why didn't they just shoot him then, let him walk yeah. off now that you know what's going on if you shoot him dead then. But then it's like, well, I guess the whole thing will collapse then right on itself. Then we don't have a third book. They'll be able to get to the second foundation because they'll have to be cleaning up the mule's messes when the whole civilization chatters. But they but, also talked about that, you know – he can, he reaffirms what Beta had suspected that if, you know, the emotion is turned on him, that he can stop it, right? He'll just turn it. So the instant, so the it instant he happen, tried to shoot right? her, yeah, yeah, okay. and so he, he reaffirms like that they can't do anything, right? So mm-hmm. he just lets them live at the end, right? He lets them walk away, and he calls it friendship. And to Peter's point earlier, in maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago, it's like, why are we afraid of the mule? He doesn't seem like this kind of vindictive bad guy, yeah. like he's out to like crush humanity. He's actually doing things that are reflective of, you know, Peter, to your point of like what uh, Salver Harden did in the mm-hmm. in the first crisis. Like he seemed like a little bit on the edge and a little bit, you know, ambitious, but not in a bad way. He was there to like bring people forward. And, and then Hober Mallow, another one, right? He was there to kind of lift mm-hmm. humanity forward. And it feels like the mule is kind of fitting into that, you know, I don't want to say, uh, what is it, typecast or whatever? Archetype. Yeah. Archetype, yeah. So why I think, do – okay, go ahead. You got one more? The one thing I was going to say about to, – to Peter's point about the, the psychologist. And, and so the mule does mention that he's going to go do – try the second foundation. But he says it's going to be hard because I, I don't have another psychologist you know, in the modern day where knowledge and wisdom is sort of atrophied so hard. There's nobody else like a Miz who's sort of on that level. And it's possible that – you know, Selden had grabbed all the good psychologists and shipped them off. And there's really no, there was nobody 300 years ago. And now forget it, you know, 300 years in the future, there's completely nobody, you know, yeah. just meta psychologists that you can really work off of. <laughs> and and but, this was the last, he was the last, you know, psycho historian, right? And mm-hmm. 
so since nobody signed up for that um, for that program at the university <laughs> that he went to, they, they basically had to shut down the that branch of the school, right? And they probably yeah. turned it into a nuclear bearing science uh, <clears throat> department yeah. or something like that, right? So nobody's enrolled for forty years, so the they've lost their accreditation at this point. They can't they couldn't school yeah, somebody if they wanted to. So why do they call him the mule? Because I, I thought it was interesting. I struggled with it. When I first read it, it didn't quite hit me until I reread it and then it, it was like I read back a couple of paragraphs and was like, Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. That's yeah, what so, it means. Mm-hmm. My my initial was my initial response was like because he was carrying the galaxy on his back or something like that. Uh, that was like where my head was at when I read it. I totally missed it too. Like because he, he talks mm-hmm. about you know I could I could make a I thought about making a genetic dynasty or something like that or mm-hmm. you know, passing passing it on or what have you and and Dan you thought it was just stubbornness. Well, I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Either. That's why the, I call well, I myself the stubborn as a mule. Sort of, uh, with the sort of uh, the 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 nature of what a mule is, and and that they're that they are uh, lacking that capability wasn't something I realized or knew about. So I kind of throw back. I'm looking for it now, but where they brought it up earlier in the book, he said, "Well, I'm the mule because." They call him the mule because he's stubborn and it does not quit. Right. And I was right. like, oh, yeah, it's a throwback to the other book where yeah. they said he's the mule because he's all stubborn. And that was yeah. all I didn't think anything of it until this morning. Yeah. To be fair, like at in the 50s, they were still using mules to like do mm-hmm. work on farms and, you know, haul uh, carts and things around, you know, production yards and factories and around you know in society like they were present i think in world war one there were still you know cavalry where they didn't ride equipment they rode horses right so world war ii that you know was not a far cry from the era where horses and donkeys and mules were everywhere and the only you know real exposure that i had to you know equestrian culture if you will is that you know in my younger years we used to travel to upstate new york which is a different state from long island it's actually two mm-hmm. separate yeah. states most people don't it's know like that south, because, south, it's like south canada right because really there's, there's a uh, there's like a, there's a treaty between long island and upstate new york and we agree to go by the moniker new york as one unified um you know entity but they are two separate things in any case um you know, we used to travel from Long Island to upstate New York, um, you know, with our passports. And uh, there's a lot of farms up there and there's horses and donkeys and mules. And, you know, I got exposed to that, you know, in my younger years. Long story short, to your point, Dan, mules are sterile. And so in the last page here, he's talking about the dynasty because uh, Beta challenges him. She says, you'll be the first and last of your dynasty. And he reflects on that saying, yeah, I've pondered that. Unfortunately, it's not in the cards, you know, don't get me wrong. It it would be easy for me to turn you into a faithful consort. Um, But, you know, I love the, there's a reason I'm called the mule and basically he can't have kids. So, 
He's mm-hmm. this sterile mutant who's mm-hmm. uh, has this great, amazing capability, but he can't pass it on to his progeny. Mm-hmm. No and do you think Beta knew that? No, I don't think so. I think she just, she was like speaking on behalf of, you know, the foundation fighting to the very end, even if he does feel like he conquered, like she's confident that Selden's plan will, will conquer him instead. But he, he flips it around and says, yeah, well, you know, you're kind of (laughs) right. Yeah. And then he walks away and doesn't look back. Yeah. Oh man. Brutal. Yeah. Sorry, Hard dog. Times. Hard times for the mule or the flaccid times for the mule, I guess you might say. So, you know, this is like a wrinkle that's an interesting wrinkle because it complicates, you know, like we talked about, you know, where do we go from here? He's committed to fulfilling his plan. We've got the Selden plan in the background, still kind of the gears are grinding in the second foundation, unbeknownst to the current, you know, storyline that we're following. Um, and he can't, you know, just have kids and and have a fail son carry forth his emotional tyranny, right? A fail clown. I'm having yeah. trouble. Clown. Fail clown. Fail clown. <laughs> I'm still having trouble with his like his uh, his motivation, right? Because he goes into it, he's like, "Yeah, I, I didn't know my you know my parents at all, and I grew up, and everybody treated me like garbage." And then it wasn't until I was like in my 30s or something like that that yeah, I it's discovered. Been 22 years. 22 years before I discovered that like I had this power. Basically, and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. Well, and then more and then time I, to realize that other people didn't have the power, right? He had to come to that realization as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, his motivation is what? I think right? it's a like, spin on like a Napoleonic complex kind of thing. Where like he's he just been, wants to run things because he felt powerless well, I think as he's a been child like, suppressed. Yeah, as a member of society, he hasn't been welcomed into society so now he's gonna you know he's gonna show everybody by being at the pinnacle of of society right or at the but he's not really like laying everybody low like there's like no humiliation in what he's doing right which you think would be like part of the power trip right it's just like oh i'm gonna make everybody bow to me uh, no, I'm just, what he actually does is he co-ops allies to right. like increase his range of his authority, right? And then these are like people who kind of rose to the top of the pile anyway, uh-huh. right? So you, you have like the best of society acting as your tyrannical enforcers, but they're like doing no actual like malice in their rule. Pseudo Salvor, have you forgotten your mantra? Which is what? That War is the violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Right. He's not using violence though. That's what I'm saying. He's he's smarter than these galactic idiots who are killing each other for right. So why are we rooting kick. against him? That's like, I'm saying you're right. I mean, like he has you might, you might be right. Might he might out. have a place in Selden's path, in the golden path. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you never. I mean, what we found out over the various arcs of the story is that you think you're thinking one thing is happening, and oh, that's great. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. This is perfect. And then, like, it begets it's something else, and all of a sudden, what was once True. good is now bad. You know, so right. um, yeah, there's a there's a line in the movie Charlie Wilson's World War where Philip Seymour Hoffman has this line. And they're like, oh, it's an old parable, and the guy, you know. 
there's a guy who who there's a kid who's he he's has they have no more to transport and they get a horse and they're like oh isn't this great news and he's like we'll see and then like the guy gets on a horse the kid learns to ride it and he falls off and he breaks his neck and they're like oh this is so terrible and he's like well we'll see you know like something that looks like it's good might not necessarily be good and something that looks like it's bad might not necessarily be bad because it depends on how that's used and how it projects you know into the society and how it evolves over time so right you know it's unclear he definitely seems (laughs) still not bad but it's unclear whether he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy you know in the future books yeah i I just think it's like a little bit comical like how it's he's you know he goes he's a clown peter (laughs) well that makes (laughs) the point uh but this yeah. isn't no like these Stephen just goes into this, like, it. it's a different uh, it's a different spin on clowns yeah he goes into this <laughs> maniacal like thing where he's like and i will destroy foundation two and you're like all right bro like but i don't think his destroys immediately afterwards it's like he's gonna <laughs> undermine the sec- second foundation he's not gonna annihilate them right the sideshow magnifico yeah, he exactly. Curses he steps on a rake. As he, tra- as he tries to walk away, he steps on a rake. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we've now gotten through the book. We're going to have another uh, episode as a finale for the season for season two, where we'll bring in some additional horsepower or mule power from outside of the <laughs> uh, existing uh, pod contingent, uh, and help us hopefully unravel a few maybe oversights that we didn't latch on to or uh, mysteries that we had that followed us through book two. Um, none of us has a, a clear idea as to what is going to happen next. So we're kind of eager to get into the third book here, but we're going to uh, take it one, one step at a time and nobody's going to read ahead. <laughs> That's right. Uh, under, pen, under penalty of death. <laughs> under penalty of Peter announcing. Yeah. No, we're not concerned that somebody has read ahead. We're coming into the end of the second season, which means that someone will murder me and take my place in the third season. So I. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's the other question. Like, <laughs> who, who, who will follow? Yeah, who will remain? Right. It's like we, we lose about thirty. So our track record so far is we lose thirty percent of our staff. When we transition from one season to the next, so mm-hmm. which thirty percent of our staff will will be yeah. uh, will be missing mm-hmm. next season? Every season is a cliffhanger, as in who will not be alive at the beginning of the next right. season. It's like so. Survivor. Yeah. So when we bid you farewell, <laughs> we might really be bidding you farewell. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, Jason, guys. I just don't want to. Please so this will. Suspense. So if that's the case, then this will be our final episode. <laughs> <laughs> there are no other editors on the podcast. Um, no one else. So we're, we're like even if everything gets recorded, it will never we're, get no, published. We're heading towards final we're foundation. Like, like foundation members, we don't know how to operate any of the machinery. We can't fix any of the things that broken, and so we're just yeah. running on inertia at any point in time. Exactly. Or and I can't grow beards, so we're totally screwed as far as leadership. <laughs> I can't grow a beard. We're SOL, guys. Yeah, there's just so many reasons we're screwed. So I guess Jason will be back. So we've eliminated one potential. Uh, yeah. I don't know, Peter. You've been awful mean to me this year, you know, this yeah. the, this season. All that does is make for better pod. You know, I wasn't, yeah. it wasn't really at the front of my mind, but in, in when that listener, you know, wrote in with that fan mail today, it, uh, <laughs> 
you know, now it definitely I think wasn't and, Jason. Yeah, no, no, one hundred percent. I mean, it was in their username. It has yeah. to be true. Yes. <laughs> so, well, so we're gonna wrap it up for now, and uh, we'll definitely get back to the story again with uh, with our foray into the third book after our season finale. And uh, we appreciate all of our listeners, and we'll try to do a better job transitioning the season this time uh, with a with a little bit less of a delay. But uh, we know everybody will be enjoying the holidays as well, so um, we'll hope to catch up with you at least by the beginning of twenty twenty two. Can you believe it? Can you believe it's almost twenty twenty two already? I can. <sighs> I feel like it's it hasn't even we haven't even gotten through twenty twenty yet. Back. Nope, still yeah. not. <laughs> so thank you all i have been your host jason along with peter and dan and we'll see you soon have a good night everybody have a good night guys bye-bye All right, I'm out of here.